Zone. Being with you makes us happy as pigs in mud. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome and happy Friday. We made it through the week, everybody. I'm Charity Seebecker. Happy to be with you this morning. Today will be cloudy with a high of 55. Tomorrow will be mostly sunny with a high of 56. And Sunday will be cloudy and 55 degrees. So I hope you took advantage of this past week's beautiful weather and bundle up for the weekend ahead. Stu Muck, our egg meteorologist, has more weather details coming your way a little later. We will also hear from Rodrigo Worley, UW Extension Weed Specialist. The farm team has been very busy at World Dairy Expo this week, and farm team member Nate Zimdars shares one of his conversations from there with Hugh Hunter, a Canadian dairy farmer, about how Canada dairy farms compare to the U.S. I'll also be highlighting the Faye Family Century Farm as part of our Farm Salute Friday as well. Stick around. You hear that? That's the sound of Dairyland Seed bringing the yield bigger and better than ever before. We're talking our best corn of all time, our strongest silage lineup ever, and the greatest soybeans in our history. We're talking a full lineup of seed proven to outperform the competition once again in independent head-to-head -head trials. See the performance data for yourself at showmetheyield.com. That's showmetheyield.com. I love watching the crops grow here in Wisconsin, from the corn to the soybeans to those alfalfa fields. But sometimes, weeds pop up. I'm Jill Welke from the northern end of the world's longest barn here in Eau Claire. I also like to go to field days, and I was to one just a couple weeks ago at the Red Cedar Demonstration Farm by Menominee. I had the chance to chat with Dr. Rodrigo Worley. He's the cropping systems weed scientist for UW-Madison Extension. Now we've moved through the growing season, so we can see the weeds that have popped up throughout the season, and what are the worst weeds out there? The worst weeds out there, that is a, an excellent question and I think no surprising to anyone. I think our water hemp continues to be our worst one, I would say, you know, just we're up here, uh, you know, drove from, from Madison this morning, uh, got to see a lot of fields, unfortunately, with some really poor uh, water hemp control. Of course, there are other weeds out there. Uh, you know, you see some lamb squirters, you'll see uh, giant ragweed, you see a lot of volunteer corn uh, in our soybean fields. Uh, but again, driving from uh, Wisconsin uh, up to Menominee this this morning here, a lot of uh, soybean fields, unfortunately, infested with uh, water hemp. Uh, water hemp is, you know, it's getting tough to control because of all the, the resistance issues. Uh, but in particular, this year, we had some really dry conditions, right? That's needless to say. And some of the key chemistries that we recommend for water hemp management, they need rainfall for activation or residual herbicides. They need good amount of rainfall. And, you know, several areas of the state, unfortunately, we didn't get timely rainfalls for, for some of the activations that we need. So that's been a uh, water hemp is tough to control. But, you know, the, the addition of the dry year there makes it a little more difficult and gave this weed an advantage. In an ideal year, what is the best way to control your water hemp? So our main recommendation has been through the use of residual herbicides, so an effective pre-emergence herbicide at the time of soybean planting. So we recommend our farmers uh, to go out there and spray an effective pre with at least two effective sites of action, so a pre-mix. 
And then to scout their fuse, and as that water hemp starts to break, not to wait too long because, you know, that water hemp, once it's up and going, uh, it grows really fast. Uh, so we tell them to trigger that post application when the weeds are small. And at that time, uh, to include what we call a layered residual approach. So use more residual herbicides in season. So they have residual at planting and also at post. So you have soil residual activity uh, throughout the year or throughout early season until those soybeans can close canopy. It's a race to closing the canopy. Once those soybeans close canopy, then they do an outstanding job at suppressing any new water hemp that's trying to come up. But are we finding that water hemp is getting resistant to some of the spray that's out there? Yeah, yeah, that's that's some unfortunate news. Uh, and this is the one thing that uh, amazes me about water hemp is its ability to evolve, right? So it has evolved resistance to several of our post herbicides that we use. As a matter of fact, uh, I like to, you know, kind of share this experience. When I first got to Wisconsin back in 18, a lot of farmers were still, you know, getting pretty good weed control and soybeans with a one-pass system, a glyphosate plus imazathapir-based program. That used to be an excellent program, but now you have resistance of water hemp to the stew herbicides plus some other herbicides that we're using post-emergence. So we've kind of gone away from using post and now trying to use more of an integrated approach with your residual herbicides but now because we've been using a lot more residual herbicides we're putting a lot of selection pressure on those chemistries and this uh, past year here unfortunately we just documented a water hemp population here in the state of Wisconsin to be resistant to the PPO residual herbicides being uh, your sulfentrazone or Spartan out there and your flumioxazin uh, or Valor and that's just like uh, terrible news because I didn't I mean at some point we you know we anticipated this would happen but I didn't think it would happen this fast so we're talking about five years of use of this residual herbicide and we now detected this population of water hemp that's resistant to our pre so that's the the, the challenge about water hemp it just uh, keeps and keeps on evolving resistance and that became kind of a discussion you know we're here up at the the field day uh, today you know talking about management strategies and one of the strategies that we talk a lot about you know are the use of cover crops so using cover crops you know for them to produce biomass to complement weed control right so use the cover crop you use a good residual herbicide if you can let that cover crop produce enough biomass it can really help with weed suppression in your cropping system. So we talk a lot about cover crops from a soil health standpoint, erosion, nutrient management, and so on. But as a weed scientist, what we're learning is if you let that rye, cover crop rye is very popular for, for most of the state of Wisconsin. If you let that rye grow tall enough, you know, we're talking four or 5,000 pounds of biomass about your, you know, mid-tie there, uh, it can do a really good job suppressing some of the tough weeds we're dealing with out there. Again, helping uh, our chemicals and you mentioned the quick changeover of the resistance of the water hemp. Is the chemistry going to be able to keep up with that as we keep moving on and the weeds keep changing? Yeah, that's a that's a big one of our you know big concerns uh, right now. The, what we we tend to say is that water hemp is evolving resistance faster than what we can come up. Uh, you know, with, with chemistries. I mean, and as a matter of fact. Uh, we haven't had a new side of action, you know, for, for about 30 years now in our corn soybean production system. So what we're seeing, what we've seen this past years is the use of multiple AIs mixed together, and that's why we're recommending mixtures. So, the you know, the more effective chemistry we put together, uh, you know, the, the less likely the water hemp is to evolve resistance. But that also comes, you know, kind of to a cost for the farmers. So there's this fine line between, you know, the economics and the feasibility of getting this done. 
but anymore, you know, that's why we are always recommending farmers to use two effective active ingredients uh, just so we can slow down how fast this water hemp continues to evolve. Some of the other things that we can also do look in our system is, you know, for instance, soybeans, where most of us planting soybeans in a 30-inch system, I understand that's the equipment that we have available on the farm. But if we have an option to fine-tune our planting equipment for soybeans, what we've learned is that a 15-inch or drilled bean soybean will close canopy much, much faster. And when you have that scenario compared to 30 inches, we have fewer problems with water hemp. Okay. So again, if it's, there's a tough scenario there, if we can go a little narrow on those soybean row spacing, it can really help uh, with uh, weed control. And then the other point is, you know, most often soybeans is go- grown in rotation with uh, corn. And in corn, we have a lot of chemistry that can be very effective on water hemp. So what we tell our farmers, because usually, you know, this time of the year, fall comes, we're we don't see a water hemp infestation of corn field, right? Because we're driving around, we're not seeing it. We realize it when we're harvesting, okay? But if you want to have success in your soybean weed control, you got to do a really good job managing your weeds in your corn because you have a lot of chemical, effective chemical options in your corn year that can really help you manage your weeds more effectively when you go back uh, to a soybean crop. And we've kind of focused on the chemistry part of controlling our weeds, but... Here at the field, Dave, you mentioned one of the biggest physical issues with getting our weeds down and under control. Yeah, no, you're probably talking about the interception, right? Uh, so, you know, one of this today here at the field day, we discussed some amazing technologies uh, that are, you know, either already available or coming down the pipeline. We talked a lot about drone applications and we talked about smart sprayers. You know, we had colleagues from John Deere here that were discussing their sea and spray ultimate technologies just are just uh, fascinating technologies a lot of interest and this is very exciting time uh, to be in agriculture especially for the young folks listening to us uh, you know if you think there's no cool technologies in ag you're missing out there's just so much happening so many opportunities for the young folks uh, out there uh, folks that are listening we need you guys back in agriculture so come join us there's a lot of excitement but where am i going with this uh, you know, all these novel technologies, even the current broadcast application technologies, the one issue that we have is when we have weeds growing in row with the crop, right? If you have a small weed growing in row with the crop, what happens in there, that crop is shielding that weed. So if you're talking about sea and spray ultimate, you know, the smart sprayer technologies is hard for the system to detect these weeds and trigger a, a spot application. But if you're also doing a, a normal broadcast application, if that crop is shielding the weeds, you're not getting enough solution, okay? How to address that, we don't quite know, but that's something we've been paying close attention. We, One of our graduate students did a lot of work this year, and what we're seeing is the more advanced a soybean is, you know, going from a V2 to a V4 growth stage, the more advanced a soybean is, the higher the interception of spray solution that that crop will have onto small weed growing underneath it, to the point where we saw an 75% reduction in the spray solution getting to that target okay so that's a challenge because if you have again a weed growing in your row there and you're getting about a quarter of the rate again that's what you know kind of favors this resistance how to quite address it we're working on that but that's something to be mindful uh, of well from chemical to physical i'm going to ask you a little bit of a prediction next year weeds what do you think is going to happen that's a really good question. Uh, driving around, uh, you can see a lot of weed escapes because of how difficult the circumstances were this year. 
Okay, so what we're telling folks is to be very strategic this fall as as far as harvest order goes, you know, for their fields. So start from the clean fields if possible. I understand, you know, sometimes that doesn't work that way, but if you can start from your clean fields and, la you know, then leave your weedy fields last, uh, that's ideal. Our colleagues with NPM program, Dan Smith and many others have done a phenomenal job going around the state talking about cleaning your combine as often as possible. We understand that's kind of a painful process. It takes time. But what Dan has shown is that blowing the front of your combine, about 30 minutes there, can eliminate a lot of the weed seeds. Okay, so cleaning your combine when you're leaving a weed field can really help. But again, being strategic, okay, we have some scenarios where we have a lot of grasses that escape control. We have giant ragweed on top of all the water hemp. So understand that all these weeds that are escaping now will set seed, and this is what you're going to be dealing with next year. So understand what are the worst fields this year, and make your plans accordingly for this next growing season. Because, uh, you know, this year here, we're going to have, you know, some fields with very, very high uh, return of seeds back into the soil seed bank to be managed in the next couple of years. Thank you for your insight on weeds, and hopefully next year we get some rain to help activate that pre-emergent sprays. And that was Dr. Rodrigo Worley, Associate Professor and Extension Cropping Systems Weed Special at the UW-Madison. And I'm Jill Welke from the northern end of the world's longest barn here in Eau Claire. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. This is Matt Gunderson, and this is Elmer, our canine cuddle ambassador, here to provide good-natured, loving, fuzzy support to further our level of personal care. Someday you might meet Elmer as we assist you with an individual life celebration. Let our family help your family. Visit GundersonFH.com, over 100 years as your hometown life celebration center. While you spent a lot more time around your home the last couple of years, you may have noticed a few things you'd like to have spruced up. Sign up for W.E. Davies Handyman Membership, and they'll help you stay ahead of the maintenance and repairs with a professional result. Boycott putting things off. W.E. Davies & Sons Remodeling brings a fresh perspective to your building project. We're a local family business with services from handyman fixes to living space upgrades. For stunning, transformative results, visit wedaviesremodeling.com. You can't change the price of gas or groceries, but you can change the amount of your energy bill. Benjamin Plumbing is now a certified dealer of Renai tankless water heaters. The number one tankless water heater in North America. They're up to 40% more energy efficient and provide endless hot water. Stop wasting tons of energy keeping 40, 50, even 75 gallons of water hot day and night with your old water heater. Call Benjamin Plumbing today and learn more about the new state-of-the-art, energy-efficient Renai tankless water heaters, including a factory-extended warranty. Save money with endless hot water for your home with a new Renai water heater from Benjamin Plumbing. Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. When we say your plumbing problem is fixed, we mean it. No excuses, I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com. Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business. Benjamin Plumbing. An industry that feeds the world is definitely an industry worth talking about. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Welcome back. I'm Charity Seebecker. Happy to be with you this Friday morning. And it is time for your Compere Financial Ag Weather Update. 
Compare Financial is your financial partner committed to agriculture and rural America. And I am being joined by ag meteorologist Stu Muck. Sue, this week really has been the true epitome of Wisconsin weather. Warm and now cooler again. Take me through some of the impact that you've seen from this. Well, it absolutely seems like uh, that fall type pattern, you know, as we headed into October, we had that string of very warm days. The first cool front came through, didn't make a whole lot of rain. A secondary cool front's out there to the northwest this morning. That could, again, mean a little light rain. I have a couple of rainfall amounts from yesterday, believe it or not. One one-hundredth at La Crosse, nine-hundredths at Iola in Wapaka County. Not much more coming in at this point yet, but just not been a big rain maker. That weak front zipping in, and of course there is rain scattering from northwest Wisconsin back into northern Minnesota today, south-central Minnesota into northwestern Iowa as well. And I expect during the day, we all may see a little shower. There could even be a late afternoon or evening thunderstorm. I just don't expect much for rain, but the chance of a little light rain exists. And then we stay a little bit cooler. And in fact, as we look towards Sunday night or Monday night, that's a chance I think some frost could be an issue, especially in the Boston area, western Wisconsin, maybe toward La Crosse as well. And I think we're going to be talking about that possibility as we start toward early next week. Those temperatures next week struggle but do get back into the upper 50s more like normal. It just sounds like a little more fall-type weather is what's coming our way. I'll have forecast details right after this. Rural Rural Mutual is the number one farm insurer in Wisconsin for a good reason. As a company founded by farmers, they understand the ag industry and its challenges. Local agents offer farm families the best advice and personalized coverage. Visit RuralMutual.com to find an agent near you. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Welcome back. Charity here with ag meteorologist Stu Muck. Sue, how about that weather forecast? Absolutely. Our Compure Financial Ag weather update. Clouds that will be on the increase. They will increase here during the day with that chance of a scattered shower, maybe a late day thunderstorm. First happening even as we head toward midday, early afternoon at La Crosse and Boston. Later today, further east, I expect temps today still in the upper 50s. Not too bad. A little breezy. The west winds 5 to 15. They'll even gust around 30. We still have that chance of a shower in the night. We start out, of course, mostly cloudy. Those skies clear a little bit late in the night. And we drop toward the upper 30s. The northwest winds could still gust near 25. A mostly sunny Saturday. Let's mention that an isolated sprinkle may pop up even yet Saturday. Shouldn't change anybody's plans. I expect temps in the mid-50s with the northwest winds at 5 to 15. Mostly cloudy again Sunday, mid-50s. North winds at 5 to 10. And like I said, Charity, that possibility of a little frost might be around Sunday night or Monday night as we stay in the mid and low 50s for daytime highs and cool it off at night. But I think we're talking about fall weather. I was just going to say, it sounds like we're going to be into that full fall-type weather now moving forward. So I really hope people enjoyed this past week that we got. Oh, it was a treat. And uh, I know a lot of folks got a lot of things done outdoors, so good for them. Yeah, and thank goodness we were at World Dairy Expo all week, so I couldn't have had better weather to be outside talking to people. It wasn't too hot, wasn't too cold, so it was a good week for us. But thank you, Sue. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, or excuse me, Monday. I see my week is all mixed up from being at Expo all see? week. What day is it? Have a good weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Once again, that was Sue Walker, Ag Meteorologist, with your Compier Financial Ag Weather Update. Compier Financial is your financial partner committed to agriculture and rural America. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Your healthcare journey in a hospital system can give you the heebie-jeebies. From navigating the parking garage to sitting in the crowded waiting room worrying about the results and cost. MH Imaging in Middleton performs MRIs, CTs, x-rays, and ultrasounds for a fraction of the cost of a medical system. And parking is just a few steps away. Results are available the same day, providing you with answers you need to know now. Visit MHImaging.com. At Berkshire Automotive, we have a non-commissioned sales team, which is a polite way to say we don't really care whether you buy a practical Equinox, the rugged Silverado, or the speedy new Corvette. You've been told no before? Join the Berkshire Automotive family for the yes. At Berkshire Automotive, we teach our people to take no out of the vocabulary. Is no in your vocabulary? Uh, no. No isn't a thing at Berkshire Automotive. Join the Berkshire Automotive family for the yes. Join the Bergstrom. Create the floors you love this season with DIY and budget-friendly flooring from Wiseway. With Wiseway Flooring's direction, you'll only need to be moderately handy to accomplish brand new floors. I'm Mike Yenser at Wiseway Flooring, inviting you to visit our showroom in Watertown, Lake Mills, and Economwalk. See how our do-it-yourself products might be the right thing for you. Commercial or residential, the Wise have it. Log on to INeedFlooringNow.com. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family, and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you, too. Okay, how about tasting the stew and telling me what you think? Mmm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Sweet of Metal Roofing customers choose us because they don't want to worry about their roof anymore. There's no curling, it won't blow off, and you won't find granules in your gutters. It's one and done. It is the last roof you'll ever need. I'm Mike. And Mary Sweeta. Enjoy the long-lasting architectural strength and beauty of a Sweeta Metal Roof. S-W-I-T-A MetalRoofing.com Sweeta Metal Roofing, the last roof you'll ever need. Everyone dreams of that one special day. I'm not talking about a wedding day, a push present, or a big anniversary. I'm talking about a special day made just for you. Maybe you paid off the mortgage, finished a marathon, left the dork who couldn't see you for the amazing person you are. It's different for everyone, but it's a day that needs celebrating with a custom piece to bring a Mona Lisa smile to your face. William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Your inspiration, your custom jeweler. Chris Collini with a dirty little secret. Growing up, we were encouraged to track mud in the house. 
After all, dirt has been our family business for generations. Today we rely on more than our boots to transport our nutrient-rich soils. We have bigger trucks and better equipment if you need it delivered. Or you can simply pick it up at our awesome dirt-filled processing plant. Take it from a worm. Trust the guys who know good dirt. Kalani Topsoil. Now that's good dirt. How is it that we can have smokers' lines without ever smoking? A skincare minute with skincare expert Michelle Neeson. Smokers or lip lines can occur not only because of smoking, but other factors, such as talking, drinking from a straw, genetics, and age related fat loss. The most simple and effective treatment for this problem is a combination of dermal fillers such as Juvederm, which can smooth and fill those fine lines as well as hydrate the lips. Also, a neuromodulator such as Botox can be used in small amounts to relax those pursing muscles. At Rejuvenation Clinic of Sauk Prairie, this treatment results in a natural, more youthful appearance of the mouth and often lasts a year or longer. Let your natural beauty shine through. Visit us at rejuvenationclinicofsaukprairie.com. Let me ask you this, Robbie, because you're talking about soft and, you know, how long you've been covering the Packers. Have you ever seen, and we saw this on the broadcast and also after the game, have you ever seen a head coach like Matt LaFleur cry? He cried at halftime. He cried at halftime, Rob. He cried. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. I'm not making this up. He cried. No, 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 no. I, I, trust me. I I know Evo. It's, 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 it's a, it's an unbelievable story. And, um, you know, he, you know, we've seen Dick Vermeil or whatever guys like that cry after they win Super Bowls. You, you, you haven't seen head coaches cry, um, you know, when, when their team is down three scores at the break or something like that, at, at, at least in, in recent history that, that we know of. It, it doesn't exactly send a great message inside that, that locker room. You know, and, 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 and we've talked about it before. Matt LaFleur is not a guy who I tell I think in 2023 is on the hot seat, but, but his commitment and his love affair with Joe Barry and, and the in, inability to fix that defense, you know, his, his loyalty to certain people – inside that building i mean they missed the playoffs last year at eight and nine if they would miss the playoffs again this year i do think matt lafleur comes into the 2024 campaign as a guy who i wouldn't say the seat is on fire but it's certainly warm sure yeah yeah hey robbie um i do want to ask about a certain play that happened and can i can i ask you about the the whirlwind on twitter Oh, the Quay Walker play for sure. <laughs> yeah. for sure. So, Rob, I saw you tweet that. I immediately started laughing. Like, I saw you tweet that out, and you, know, you talked about him jumping over the line. And it's like, oh, by the way, he scored a nine on his winter lick. I, I literally laughed out loud. I, my wife was sleeping. We were up in La Crosse for Oktoberfest. We were in a hotel room. I literally laughed out loud, and my wife woke up. She's like, what's so funny? I'm like, you, you wouldn't get it. Robbie, well, you, you sent Twitter ablaze. And what you, what you did and reported, it's not, it's, it's not wrong. You weren't, it wasn't like it wasn't factual. Like, that's a, that's a fact right hey listen uh, various nfl people these days view the wonder lick in in a different lens some think it's some really still think it has a ton of validity and and some don't take it um you know to mean all that much in in 2023's football world you know but but i'll just tell you what i've talked to enough people at the combine and scouts through the years that tell you there is a direct correlation with what you score on that wonder lick test and then the plays you make on that field and, you know, and, and, and I was called every name under the sun. I saw, that. I saw. You know, <laughs> and, and, things like that. and, and I'll, I'll just tell you right now, you know, I mean, I, I could care less if Quay Walker was, 
Caucasian or Asian or yellow, green, blue, or orange. It, it does not matter. It's, it's a boneheaded play. It's a terrible play um, that he made. He, you know, add, you know, adding insult to injury, compounding the problem, Ebo. He, you know, he got thrown out of two games last year. He's the only player in NFL history to do that. Now, I'm not telling you the Packers were going to win that football game, and that play was the deciding factor in that game. But it was a big play yeah. in the moment, and, and you draw, you know, the, uh, the, a, a, a huge part of our off-season discussion with Quay Walker is, is he going to play smarter? Is he going to be more mature? Is, is, is he going to eliminate some of the mistakes that he has made last you know, that he made last year? And and he has, on a, you know, in, in, a, in a lot of these games, but again, at a critical moment, at a huge time, he makes an absolute boneheaded play. And Matt LaFleur takes the bullet for him after the game, and, you know, I guess kudos to Matt for that. But I'll tell you what, right now, Rich Bisacci is a hell of a football coach, the man who coaches special teams. Um, Quay Walker knew exactly what that rule was. I, I, I've been to enough practices, guys. You've been over to Green Bay enough. I mean, Rich Bisacci coaches the heck out of these guys. When they step on the field, they know the rules of the game. And Quay Walker knew that that was not a play that was allowed. And for him to make that mistake at the moment was a, was a critical mistake. But, but again, guys, the Packers have, have been partially their own worst enemy throughout the course of the season. Way too many penalties, uh, you know, boneheaded plays across the board. They're hurting themselves as, as much as the opponent is. They'll have had 11 days to try to, to try to fix some of this stuff by the time we get to the Raiders a game lot, here lot, on, on, on Monday night. But, but, I mean, but I'll tell you what right now. I mean, Quay Walker has the potential to be a Pro Bowl player. He really does. He's, Quay Walker has all the ability in the world. And, you know, and one of the interesting storylines that we'll all talk about this week is that, you know, he, he was part of the Devontae Adams train, right? I mean, Adams for the one and the two, which turned into Walker and Watson. And I would say right now, if you're Green Bay, that's a winning deal. You, you got you got two really good, young, gifted second-year players that probably will end up receiving, you know, a second contract in Green Bay, that being Walker and Watson, obviously. And But, but for that to happen, Quay, you know, I, I think Christian Watson will certainly trend in that direction. But Quay Walker has to just play smarter football across the board. Being with you makes us happy as pigs in mud. This is the Midwest Farm Report. Welcome back. I'm Charity Seebecker. Happy to be with you on this Friday morning. The farm team has been extra busy this past week at World Dairy Expo, and that also continues yet through today. So if you haven't had a chance to stop out at Lion Energy Center, be sure to get your chance today and go see some of those beautiful cattle that are gracing those colored shavings and enjoy an iconic grilled cheese. Farm team member Nate Zimdars shares one of his conversations from the week with a Canadian dairy farmer. Take it away, Nate. The United States and Canada share many similarities. We have been strong partners and allies, especially within agriculture. Even though we share many similarities and work together, there are some key differences between our two countries and the way we operate. I'm Nate Zimdars with the Midwest Farm Report, and I am speaking with Canadian farmer Hugh Hunter. He speaks more in depth about his experiences as a Canadian farmer and how they might differ from what we are familiar with here in the United States. Can you give me a big picture of what the dairy landscape in Canada looks like? Sure, Nate. I think that the dairy landscape in Canada is very positive growth-oriented, but I think uh, the differences between Canada and the U.S. is that you would have a 
smaller average herd size and more smaller family farms than you would see in most of the United States. In Canada, our dairy industry is, most of the production is between the provinces of Ontario and Quebec, with a number of farms in obviously the west and our maritime provinces on the east coast. And you're looking at roughly about 10,000 dairy farms in, in Canada. If you could give an average size, average herd size, what would that look like? And do you happen to have larger scale farms like maybe what you see in some places in the States? We have the larger scale farms in Canada. There would be a handful in the thousand cow range, but the average family farm in Canada right now is probably going to be around 100 milking cows. And how much land do most farmers have in Canada to support, say, an average herd size of about 100 cows? That's a good question, uh, a difficult question to answer just because the demographics and the landscape is so different across Canada as it is in the U.S. I mean, we ha- you, you would have your prairie farmers that run larger acres because it's more dryland farming, whereas opposed to, say, some parts of Quebec would have a typically smaller average herd size, therefore a smaller acreage. I can only speak to those that are close to me in, in Ontario. You know, I'm going to say that the average 100 cow farm is probably going to uh, farm in that 300 acre ballpark uh, in order to um, to feed their herd and, and there are a number of us in the dairy industry that would have extra acres for cash crop and to diversify a little bit. Now can you tell me why is it that Ontario and Quebec are the most popular in terms of dairy farms? Is it just due to those being the larger population centers in the country? I would say exactly that that's where the majority of our country's population is in that uh, Montreal to Toronto corridor. There's quite a quite a few you know million probably six million people right in, in just those few hundred kilometers. So I would say that's a lot to do with it. Also our more temperate climate in the center of the country would have a lot to do with why we have cows there, uh, dairy cows there. Now, climate-wise, is Wisconsin very similar to Ontario and Quebec? I would say Wisconsin is probably very close to Ontario. We're almost, actually where we live is almost a little bit further south than, than Wisconsin and Ontario. Um, but I would say we have very similar uh, similar seasons. You know, we at home have about 2,800 uh, corn heat unit is where what our growth is. As you move west into Quebec, we're, we're about three hours from the Quebec border, and it is a little cooler typically in in those in Quebec once you get into Quebec but yeah very similar to to Wisconsin. Earlier you had touched on supply management that is a key difference between dairy in the United States and dairy in Canada. Can you break down what that looks like for you and how that impacts you as dairy producers? What that looks like for us is basically our supply management system and the quota that we own is based on butterfat. We get paid solely on milk components not volume of water that we ship. So by owning kilograms of butterfat in quota, that is translates into how much butterfat we can ship per day. The safety of that and the mechanisms, mechanisms that are built into that for both to protect both the consumer and the producer, I think, is mutually beneficial for all of us. We don't have government involvement. The government is not telling us how much milk we can ship, how much we should ship, how many cows we can milk. We're independent, but we are are reliant on the federal government support to uphold trade agreements as well as um, quality components and such. 
From your experience as a Canadian producer, can you tell me what is your relationship like with American producers? Is there much of a relationship from where you sit? What does that look like in general? Well, I think as a dairy farmer, we all are doing the same thing, just a little differently. And even in a, in a community, all of our end results are the same, is to provide safe and nutritious food for the public. So whether you're milking 1,000 cows or 50 cows, I think that we, we're all in the same boat so, yeah, anytime we've had um, any contact with, with our American neighbors, it's always been positive and congenial. And I think that we just have perhaps a little um, different psyche as to how our milk is marketed. Two-part question, continuing with that theme. What is one thing that you think Americans could take away from Canadian dairy? And what is something that you have taken away from your time coming to the States and getting to know American producers? I think that Amer the average American producer should appreciate the safety that we have in our business and in the ability to plan 10, 15, 20 years out for our, for our farms and our families and our businesses. You know, I see the boom-bust cycles uh, from the north of what our neighbors to the south deal with, and it, it sometimes seems heartbreaking, and I know that we are aware of efficiencies of scale, but still we have slow growth and we can bank on it. And there's still all kinds of 100 cow family farms that support our rural communities. And our governments realize that, that especially in Ontario, the dairy industry is driving a lot of our rural communities as far as agribusiness and, and all of the associated businesses that go with it. As far as things that we can learn from the United States, absolutely, like marketing, international uh, dealings and, and trade deals, and, and also the efficiencies that we see our American neighbors come up with in their bust cycles where they need to save money to lower their cost of production, etc. So those are we can learn from efficiencies that, that you guys uh, implement as well on farm. Well, it's important for us to recognize our differences. We must always look to what brings us together and the things that we have in common. And that is certainly true of our relationship with Canadian dairy farmers. From the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Nate Zimdars. No matter how many acres you farm or how much livestock you raise, if you're a farmer, it's your focus every day. At Compier Financial, agriculture is our focus too. That's why so many farmers choose to partner with us. Because we're ready with fast service, flexible financing, and the local expertise farmers need. Learn more at Compier.com or give us a call at 844-426-6733. Compier Financial ACA is an equal credit opportunity lender and provider. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Ever wonder what deja vu sounds like? Yeah, something like that. Because that's the sound of Dairyland Seed delivering the greatest soybeans in our history again. This year's lineup, led by Dairyland Seed and List E3 Soybeans, brings even better agronomic characteristics, even tougher weed control, and even higher yield potential. And once again, they're proven to outperform the competition in independent head-to-head -head trials. See the latest soybean performance results at showmethesoybeanyield.com. That's showmethesoybeanyield.com. Welcome back. I'm Charity Seebecker. Happy to be with you this Friday morning. Taking a look at our markets, cash corn is trading at 4.97.5 off a pen. November soybeans are trading at 1283 and three quarters. That's up three cents. December 23 wheat is trading at 574 and a quarter, down four cents. And March 24 wheat is trading at 602 and a quarter, down four and three quarters. November class three milk contract is trading at 1727, down a penny. And December milk is trading at 1751, up two cents. 
Barrel cheese closed at 156, up one and three quarters. 40 pound block cheese closed at 168 and a half, up a half. And the double A butter closed up five and a half cents at 348 and a half. Coming up, we have our Farm Salute Friday feature, the Faye Family Farm. Stick around. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Pest control? You've got a guy for that. Car repairs? You probably have a guy for that as well. For someone to custom design a unique piece of jewelry for you, or help your current pieces look sparkling fresh? That needs to be William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Affordable and local. William Thomas Custom Jewelry will help you create a desirable, one-of-a-kind piece that you'll be proud to wear for years to come. William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Your inspiration, your custom jeweler. Legacy Exteriors. Just pick up the phone and let us leave a legacy on your home. Roofing windows, gutters, siding, and decks. Can Legacy do it? You bet. Better prices, better warranties. Legacy always makes it easy. Go to Legacy-Exteriors.com. Legacy Exteriors. Just pick up the phone and let us leave a legacy on your home. Recently, the U.S. Navy delivered tons of food to hungry people halfway around the world. But you could help someone in your own community simply by donating a can of soup. Last week, a Navy doctor saved the life of a total stranger. Just like you could by giving a pint of blood. The men and women of America's Navy do some amazing things to make the world a better place. So can you. Whether it's by donating food or simply giving time right in your own backyard. Brought to you by America's Navy. Rural Mutual is the number one farm insurer in Wisconsin for a good reason. As a company founded by farmers, they understand the ag industry and its challenges. Local agents offer farm families the best advice and personalized coverage. Visit RuralMutual.com to find an agent near you. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. Being with you makes us happy as pigs in mud. This is the Midwest Farm Report. What an honor it is to be recognizing farms and homesteads that have been in the family for more than 100 or 150 years. I'm Charity Seebecker from the Midwest Farm Report. We're bringing these family farm stories to you at MidwestFarmReport.com, courtesy of Compere Financial. One farm being recognized is the Philip Fay Farm. This Green County's farm's history dates back to 1914 and is located right on the edge of Belleville. Cindy Faye Schrader, Philip's daughter, says she remembers taking her little red wagon door-to-door and selling sweet corn. She began putting together this Century Award information for her dad, but unfortunately he passed away this past October. She wanted to continue this process in his honor and shares more about the history of the farm. In 1914, John Faye, who was our great uncle, purchased it from John Haskins. And then in 1922, my grandfather, Robert Fay, bought it from John Fay, and John was his brother. And then, like in 1932, they built a new farmhouse on our farm. Let's see, then 1967, we did some additions to the barn, and we added a new milk house, an attached milk house, because before that, we used to have to strain the milk into, like, large milk cans and 
my dad would transport it to another milk house. It was on our property, but it wasn't attached to the barn. So once they built a new milk house, they put in like a large tank so that we could just carry the milk and put everything in a tank and get rid of all those milk cans that we had to, you know, transport back and forth. And it was actually in 1973 when my dad bought the farm from my grandfather. And before that, my mom and dad got married in 1956, and they've always been on the farm. You know, they raised us kids on the farm, but um, the deed passed hands back in 1973. I think it, you know, it probably took dad a long time to try and pay grandpa for it, you know, to actually acquire the farm. And then in 1978, my dad put a pipeline in. And um, I think he put the pipeline in because he realized his milk carriers were starting to graduate from high school and leave the farm. So there was six of us kids. There was three boys and three girls. And so we were basically his, I can't say hired hands because we didn't get paid, but we were his farm hands. How's that? So that's kind of the, you know, how our farm passed hands along the way. It started in 19. 19- 14 and we still have our farm but it's you know gone through um different changes like um my dad sold off some of it to the school he's because our property is right on the edge of Belleville so he sold some of his property to the school he sold some of it to some of the residents of Belleville that wanted to build a home you know in the right outside of town and he gave eight, year, eight acres of our property to the Catholic Church so the church could build a new church. So that church is actually right across the street from our farm. That's how close we are to town. Like when we were growing up on the farm, we, we were so close to Belleville that we walked to school because the bus would come too early. We're still, we're still in the barn milking cows, so we couldn't catch the bus. So we'd walk to school every day and, and walk home. It was actually faster to walk home than take the bus. Because we were so close to town, there was constantly people stopping by our home. It was like Grand Central Station. Our grandparents lived right next door. So our uncles and aunts would go visit them, and all the cousins would come up and see us. So we we always had a lot of visitors at our farm. And growing up, my mom would plant a big garden and make like 75 quarts of dill pickles. And my dad, well, he would always plant sweet corn. And then he would talk us kids into filling our little red wagon with sweet corn and take, you know, just walking into town and sell it door to door for 50 cents a dozen. But then he would tell all his friends to just come up and pick whatever they wanted for free. So it kind of cut into our profits as little kids trying to sell the sweet corn. And living on the farm, we really instilled with good work ethics. We never, to this day, have been on vacation as a family because we couldn't. We had cows to milk. One time, my parents went on vacation with the four youngest, and my brother and I stayed behind to to run the farm for a couple days. But like I said, we never went on vacation as a whole family because we couldn't. We we were all in 4-H. You know, we took a animals to the fair and sewing and woodworking and whatever else we felt like doing for the fair. Um, A couple of us girls with Belleville's Dairy Queen. Uh, We have a cell tower that was put on top of our hill that was put up like 25 years ago. 
and the cell tower is still there. And it's also the hill where we would always go sledding. So we would go up to the hill and we had to be very careful because our sled would hit cow pies on the way down, which would, could be pretty disastrous when you're flying down the hill on a sled. But then um, Dad made a deal with the town of Belleville so that the kids in Belleville could use that hill for sledding also. What is the farm today? Take me through the size of the dairy before in the past compared to where it is today and kind of give me an overview of what are things looking like now for you guys? The most we could have in our barn was 40 cows. And we we had chickens, we had pigs along the way too, but Holstein dairy cows was our main, you know, animal. And um, we don't have any more animals on the farm. And we have some cousins that are working the land. And we have some cousins that use our sheds for their machinery. Our barn is still standing. And through the years, once we sold the animals, someone had a barn fire. So they used our barn to milk their cows for a little while. And then we had someone else that was using our barn for animals. Um, And then we had a woodworker in there that was using the barn at one time. But right now, the barn isn't being used at all. But the other, the sheds and are being used just for, you know, other cousins' machinery. My father actually passed away in October of last year. and My mom's been gone for several years, but my dad um, passed away last October. And I started this project of, you know, this trying to put together all the information of, of how our farm is over 100 years. And so we could get this award from the state not expecting our dad to pass away, of course. (laughs) So he helped me with some of this information. I actually started this project for him, you know, to, because I know he's so proud of the farm and it's, you know, it's been in our family for over a hundred years, but now, now that he's gone, we're looking at probably selling it because, you know, he, he thought one of us six kids would take it over at some point in our lives, but we've all left Belleville. And so it's, it's very hard for, all of us because we've been trying to clean it out and we have we still have over 100 years of stuff at our farm that was cindy Faye schrader sharing the story of her family farm in green county the century and sesquicentennial farm program originated as part of wisconsin centennial celebration in 1948 each year 